Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of MLS Gone Wild. This is your host, Blem. This is Mike D. Hoping everyone's having a great week. The Audi 2020 MLS Cup playoffs are upon us, and we have a great episode in store for you tonight with a great guest. Before we get into that, we are recording this episode on the night of Veterans Day, and I just wanted to send a special thank you to all of the brave men and women who protect and serve this country selflessly every single day. A special thank you goes out to my father, who was in the military for 20 plus years. Thank you for all you have done for me, our family, and this country. You are my hero. I love you, Dad. Amen. That was special, Mike D. I actually did text your father today. I texted him as soon as I woke up, actually. He was one of the first people I thought of today. Like Mike D said, I second everything. Happy Veterans Day to everybody who served and continues to serve and protect our country. Thank you. On this week's episode, we are joined by the first defender in MLS history to record 20 goals and 20 assists. The first player to record 100 caps for the U.S. men's national team three-time World Cup participant, five-time MLS All-Star, year 2000 MLS Gold of the Year recipient, and I could go on and on about this legend's accolades. Our guest this week is Colorado Rapids and U.S. Men's National Team legend, Marcelo Balboa. Marcelo, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. How are we, gentlemen? Good, man. How are you doing tonight? I am good. Happy Veterans Day, and uh, you know, we're, we're blessed enough to be able to live in a country where if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have this freedom that we have. So uh, happy Veterans Day to everybody out there, and thank you for, for serving. Absolutely. How was practice, Marcelo? <clears throat> it was freaking cold, man. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It was cold tonight. A little bit of wind, but it was good. It was good. The boys, uh, when it's a little colder outside, they tend to want to run a little more to stay warmer. So I like cold nights. You know, I get a little cold, but the boys seem to be a little bit more active, and I like that. Yeah, you just jump out there with him, get that plug bumping as well. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start the episode off here um, with a little mailbag. So Ooh. we got three mailbag questions from three of your biggest fans. And the first one, I'm going to get right into it. We reached out, and we heard back from your commentator colleague, Richard Fleming. Oh, God help you, child. Here we go. <laughs> he didn't confirm where this information came from. But he mentioned yeah. there was information that he is quite the midfield general and attributes <laughs> most of your Sunday league success to his ability to create space for you. Thoughts on this? Yes, Marcella? yes, yes. Um, God, you know, I, 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 I'm not even sure where to start. Which lie should I start with first? Uh, yeah, we have a good time. We play on Sundays with, uh, with Richard. And uh, unfortunately, it's the other way around. I usually have a guy or two marking me, so I tell him to get away from me. Just go over there so he can get the ball. But I'll give him credit. He hit two with his left peg the other day, which he only uses to stand on. But he put it in the back of the net from, I think, like four yards out. So he had a good night. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny, Marcelo. <laughs> All right, so your former academy player and current Rapids homegrown, Cole Bassett, wants to know, are you oh, ever going to cut your hair? Um, I will eventually. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I have a hard time telling. I got my dog here. He wants to say hi. Say hi. Come here. 
Come here. This is my young puppy. Look at this guy. Oh, you can't see him. Oh. There you go. Yeah. What's his name? His name just wants to climb all over me tonight. <laughs> but uh, I will cut it eventually. Here's the deal. A long time ago, before my grandfather passed away, he said something to me. He's like, grow it while you can grow it, because eventually it will not grow anymore. So why cut it? So, you know, right now, it's, it's just part of me. It covers up the hair, the, the baldness, and the scars. So, but yes, I will cut it one day. One day I will cut it. So. <laughs> how, much, how much maintenance do you have to do on that beard? Do you do any at all? Zero. <laughs> this is it. Look, this is, here's my maintenance. Here we go. Look at this. This is it right here. Love I it. I do that and I'm ready to go outside. Just like my hair. People say, well, what do you put in your hair? What do you do with your hair? I use whatever shampoos in the shower. I get out. I go, I shake it and I go outside. I don't well, blow dry. I, I do nothing. Nothing. Well, welcome to No Shave November. It's no different you for you this month than it is any month. It's been no shave for a year now, so it's, it's, <laughs> it just keeps kind of going. So. All right, so Cole, that, if that answers your question, there it is. So your good friend Alexi Lala suggested we ask a question about your rehab following your torn ACL before the 1994 World Cup. Like you, I also tore my ACL yeah. and MCL and fractured my tibia in a non-contact injury in the first round of a college conference tournament game. I worked my ass off for nine months to get back on the field with my teammates for my senior yeah. season. Your recovery time before you stepped back on the pitch was a remarkable six months. Marcelo, I know you've talked about it with Charlie Davies and Jordan yeah. Angeli before, yeah. but can you tell us a little bit about the rehab process and your mentality and motivation to get back on the pitch with the U.S. men's national team? Um, God, you know um... – as a player, you never think you're going to get hurt. You think you're invincible. You think you're just going to go through life without getting some sort of injury. And some guys are blessed. I was not. I, uh, I tore my MCL before the 90 World Cup. Almost didn't make that World Cup. Um, 94 was a special year. Playing in a home, playing at home. Uh, was captain at the time. And uh, it was one of those things at Orange Coast College. I uh, just stepped back and went to push forward. And ABC at the time had a camera on me and a microphone. And back then the packs were like this big when they put the, the battery pack on your back. So um, you saw it, you heard it, you heard uh, uh, a center back screaming like a little kid because it hurt so bad. But uh, it was difficult because the doctor told me initially that uh, he wasn't sure if it was ACL. I think I might have just tweaked my knee and he didn't want to tell me on the field. So he waited until I got back into the locker room. When I got in the locker room, uh, Dr. Burt Mandelbaum looked at me straight in the eye and he says, Cello, he goes, your ACL. He goes, it's, I can feel it in your knee. Your ACL's done. So went to the shower. Guys went out, played the second half, cried like a little kid in the shower thinking that, uh, that I was done, that that was going to be the end of my World Cup. Uh, doctors like, well, we're going to do surgery right away. I think it was like literally three or four days later. And I had a false hope. I'll be honest with you. I, uh, they took the MRI. And when I saw the, the lady saw the MRI, she goes, oh, it looks like your ACL is right there. And I'm like, oh, great. And the doctor looks, he goes, that's where your ACL should be. That's not where it's at. And I'm like, great. So they went in, they did surgery. I had the, the best care in the world, but, uh, the hardest part 
um, about coming back from an ACL is not the physical side. The physical side, I had the drive. Um, I had everything it would take to get back. I, that part didn't worry me. But the mental side of tearing your ACL and thinking, is my career done? Is it not done? Am I going to be able to come back? Because it wasn't just an ACL. I had to have meniscus surgery. And they had to stitch my meniscus back up. So that put me six weeks on crutches without any pressure. So now that just moved me back a little more. And back in 93, when you looked at the recovery, it was a year, it was a year recovery, 12 months. So I went through uh, some horrible moments, depression, uh, down to myself, didn't want to get out of bed. Just one of those first three or four months or the first month, month and a half was just not good. And uh, I had a good friend who was Fernando Clavijo who passed away, um, who was very, I mean, if it wasn't for him and Rudy Rudowski and Bert Mandelbaum, uh, I wouldn't have made it back. But Fernando was the guy who basically got me out of the spunk. He would come to the house and he'd say, get your ass out of bed. Let's go. We're done. We're, we're done feeling sorry for ourselves. He's like, I'm not going to the World Cup without you. So let's go. So he literally had to drag me out of bed on certain days to get me out. And as, and as time went on, you, you see this little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because you start seeing your legs feeling a little better. And it wasn't. But in your mind, it, it's a mind game. It, it, everything in that period was a mind game. Once I got my mind right with Fernando's, uh, with a lot of help from Fernando, um, I took off like a rocket man. I took off. Uh, he sacrificed. He was older than all of us. Uh, as he was practicing with the, with the national team, I'm riding the bike around the field. I'm doing other things. In the afternoon, on the days off, he would get on a bike. He bought a bike. He went bike riding with me up in the mountains, sacrificed the, the extra time with his family. So, um, yeah, if it wasn't for him. And, and the other one was Bora Militinovich because the other coaches didn't believe. The other coaches were trying to get me off the team. They're like, he's not going to make it back. We should probably find somebody else. So that right there in itself motivated me. But Bora was the one who believed in me, kept me on the team. He's like, no, he'll be back. And in six months, I was ready to go, man. I had the brace. I was ready to practice. I was ready to go. And Bora pumped the brakes. Bora wouldn't let me play. He put me in limited practices. And he's like, we don't need you right now. You need to be ready here at this point. And uh, the mental side of it was, again, now I'm, I'm being screwed with. Again, I feel like because now Bora's not playing me. And the only way I can play in a World Cup and get ready for a World Cup is if I play games. So fine, Bora played me in a game. I sucked. Oh, <laughs> boy, did I suck. And he just kind of looked at me, and I just kind of just shook my head. And I was like, damn, man. You know, I, he knew what he was doing. I pushed the envelope and I pushed it too soon. So again, he put me on the bench. He let me practice. And, uh, but throughout that whole process, he believed in me. He believed that I would make it back. And he was one of the few people besides parents and stuff like that. But it was Fernando, Rudy, and, uh, and, uh, and Bora who really gave me that opportunity to get me on the team to make that World Cup team. Yeah, you have to have people that believe in you. Mike Delaney was my teammate. I know he always believed in me. Everybody on that roster believed in me. The coaches believed in me. But more than that, you have to believe in yourself. And when it initially happens, you're like, why me? And I know our two situations are different. Marcelo, yeah. you were on the 
you were on the cusp of going to the 1994 no, 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 World buddy. Cup as as the captain. And, and ACL you know, me, is an ACL, man. It, it, it doesn't matter where you're playing. And listen, if I would have been playing on a Sunday, Sunday league game and I would have told my ACL, I would have been pissed. I would have been pissed because I'm missing games. I don't want to miss games. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, that's what I'm saying. To me, it doesn't matter at what level you play at. Uh, an ACL is an ACL. It sucks. Yeah. And I think what you just said, it's a testament to your love for the game. You don't want to miss any playing time. You don't want to get an op- you don't want to miss an opportunity to play the game that you love and the game that you've played your whole entire life. I don't want to miss the opportunity to kick the crap out of somebody. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> you you did plenty you did plenty of that throughout your career, Marcelo. It's funny though, I watched that video, um, you know, doing some research about about you and yeah. All that video about the Sunday league and, and your passion and love for the game. It's very similar to my passion. And I'll give you an example that happened just today. Um, Blake and I are getting ready to go this weekend. There's uh, the Outer Banks, which is uh, a beach that's about an hour away from here. Yeah. Blake texted me and said, you going to play golf on Sunday? Yes, please. <laughs> I would normally say yes, but I've been playing a lot of football lately and I got into the street league and um, I'm playing on Sundays in the street league. And I told him, I was like, look, if it's, if it's early in the morning and we play nine holes, I'll do it. But I got games Sunday in the afternoon and I don't know what times they start. And he's like, Oh, forget about it. And like, for me, <laughs> something that, something that you said that is something that I always tell myself is, you know, I I'm playing the game now for fun and yeah. it's, it's therapeutic for me and I'm going to play until I can't play anymore. And it's amazing to see yeah. that you're still doing it. And, and I hope that I can continue to, to do the same. We all will, man. It's in the blood. It's, you know, having Argentinian parents, you've come to realize that uh, you live and breathe soccer. And uh, watching my mom and dad when we were kids listening to a radio, uh, the only way they could pick up the Argentine national team games and to see them jump in. I've never seen my mom scream like that when Argentina scored a goal. And I was like, I don't, okay, I, I, I didn't get it as a kid. I didn't get it as a kid until I started playing. And all of a sudden you realize, and you don't realize how much you love something or you miss and, something until it's, until it's gone. Yep. You know what I mean? And I thought that my career, I thought my opportunity to play in a World Cup, my second World Cup, but playing in a World Cup at home is very rare. Very rare. The first World Cup in the United States. And when you kind of get to that point where you think that's going to be taken away from you, you start realizing how much you love what you do and how much you miss what you do. And it wasn't a job. It was a passion. And uh, at, when I got to a point with the ACL that they had to slow me down, I got my, listen, I got my knee drained probably when they allowed me to start walking and doing things. And the first week they probably drained it three times because I was doing so much to try to increase my chances of cutting back. The doctor's like, let, let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. You've got six months. We'll be fine. I'm like, like yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, I still think that way. You tell me to do, listen, you tell me to do a mile, I'm going to go do two miles. You're going to tell me to do 100 sit-ups, I'm going to do 200 sit-ups. You know what I mean? That's just who I was when I played. That's absolutely remarkable. That's a hell of a story, a hell of a comeback story for you. And that wasn't the last World Cup team that you, you made. You also, you know, featured in the 1998 World Cup. But since we're on the topic of the <laughs> we didn't slide uh, past that one. <laughs> you didn't get a whole lot of PT in that 1991. Uh, yeah. Worst experience of my life. And I'll leave it at that. 
So All go right. ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, since we're on the topic of the U.S. men's national team, tomorrow, November 12th, we get to see yep. the U.S. men's national team take the field for the first time since February yep. in hopes to redeem their failed 2018 World Cup qualification. Greg yep. Berhalter selected one of the most talked about and talented 23-man rosters that the U.S. men's national team has had in recent history for this yep. November camp. The camp includes 10 players who have never made an appearance for the senior U.S. men's national team and aim to get their first cap this week in the two matches versus Wales and Panama. Marcelo, like we said in the intro, you were the first player in U.S. men's national team history to record 100 caps, and you played in the 1990, 1994, and like we want to skip over, the 1998 World Cup. <laughs> How much did it mean to you to represent the United States at the highest level and what advice would you give to these players that are getting their first caps in the November uh, camp? Ooh, one, um, God, you know, back in, back when we played, I don't think anybody really knew what the national team was about or they knew what an international cap was. So uh, I never set out to, to be the first player ever to do that. I thought Bruce Murray was going to be that guy because Bruce was leading everybody in caps. Um, so, but listen, um, one, I'm excited to see this team play. This team will qualify for the World Cup. This team will get that experience that they need leading into 2026. Uh, I don't have any doubts with that. I'm excited to see this young team play in this crop of kids because they're excited. They're not taking that shirt for granted. They haven't worn it for 10 years and like, oh, okay, it's another game to see if I can reach 100. These kids are excited to put on that jersey and to represent their country and to prove what this young generation can do. And that right there in itself to me gets me excited because they might have not played for the national team yet or gotten a cap yet, but they've played in huge games in Europe. They're playing in Champions League games. They're playing in Division One, Premier, La Liga. It's ridiculous the experience they're getting. So yes, when you walk into the locker room, you will have that the jitters, you'll be that nervous. You'll see your jersey with your number and your name on it. And that's step one. So uh, I, I'm so excited to watch this guys, these guys play tomorrow. The advice you can give these kids, you know what? I think most of them have already passed those nerves of that big first game because they're playing in such big games. But like anything else, you, you build your confidence as you play. You walk out on the field and you do what you do best. If you start playing and trying to do too much in your first game, then all of a sudden you start falling out of that, that, that comfort zone that you used to playing in. And, and you've got to stay in that comfort zone little by little till you build that confidence and you move on. But uh, I would have to say most of these kids may be a little nervous, but I would say not, uh, not too much because of the fact that they've already played in some pretty big games before they represent their country. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, you know, Claudio Reyna, you know, your former teammate came yeah. and, and said about his son, when, when Claudio was 17, he was playing in state championship games. Yeah. And, and Gio's playing in championship, uh, championship yeah, games championship, right now. Yeah. It's incredible. And so, exactly, I'm, I'm just as excited as you are, and, and they have the experience. And like you said, no doubt in my mind, they're going to qualify. Um, so, with your experience playing in the 1994 World Cup in the United States, how much did that tournament do for the popularity of soccer in this country? Uh, did you say 94? You broke up a little bit. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. 94. Okay. Listen, um, 90 was a learning experience for all of us. We were college kids coming out of college who just signed 
to play uh, for the U.S. national team. We were playing in a lot of uh, WSL, or, uh, the Western Soccer Alliance, WSL leagues. We were playing, some guys were playing in Europe. But 90 was uh, to, to figure out what a World Cup was. We thought, as a 90 group, we thought we knew what the World Cup was because we saw it on TV. We've seen many World Cups. We're like, yeah, we're ready to go. Uh, and uh, reality hit us of what a major tournament playing the best players in the world was going to be like. And when we walked out against Czechoslovakia at the time, now Czech Republic, we thought that we – and we were told we're about the same size, strength, everything. We were going to match up pretty well against them. And when we walked out of the locker room into the tunnel and we saw their players and it was like we had to look up. We're like, oh, crap. He goes, that's not what we thought we were going to get. And we walked out there, it showed. You know what I mean? I didn't start that game, but I got to play in it. It was a completely different level that we've ever seen before as young kids, young American kids. Qualifying was one speed. This was a completely different level. So we had to regroup and we went into Italy and we regrouped and we, we got back some of the respect that we thought we deserved. So leading into 94, we knew that this was going to be the biggest stage ever in the United States for soccer. And we had to perform. Uh, U.S. soccer committed themselves in the 92 to making us all live together, building an environment where we were going to have this camaraderie of living, breathing together, and getting ready for this 94 World Cup. And that read almost like a residency camp for two years. And it was interesting because little by little, you saw as we close we got to the World Cup, the momentum that it was starting to create. We didn't know if it was gonna be packed stadiums. We didn't know if they're gonna be half packed stadium. We really, you couldn't get a feel for it. And uh, when we walked out in Detroit and saw that place packed, we were like, and then we turned on the TV and saw the other games. Every game was sold out. We were like, okay, now, now we know what we're getting into. But the pressure of having to get out of the group the pressure of having to play Colombia, who is the number one team in the world, the favorites to win the World Cup. Um, we knew we were going to be on the biggest stage ever, and we had to perform. And when they announced Major League Soccer was coming right before the World Cup, I think that also got people excited about things. So I think it was a huge – soccer was growing. It, it seemed to be growing well, but 94 put it over the top, and people really – started taking an interest of what soccer was and, and we, be, we didn't become household names but we became names that people when you heard Alexi Lalas people like oh I saw him play or Tony Miola it's like he, he played for the U.S. you know what I mean it's one of those things where it was starting to build momentum and buzz and uh, I think that was probably one of the biggest turning points in U.S. soccer history for soccer because at that point, everybody in the United States knew what a World Cup was. They knew what the national team was. They understood what it was all about. Now it was the next big step and the next big hurdle was, can we take that enthusiasm from a World Cup and turn it into soccer fans in MLS? Yeah. Perfect, se perfect segue there, Marcelo. So two, <laughs> two years after the 1994 World Cup, the MLS was created. So leaving Liga MX side Lyon, to join the Colorado Rapids in the 1996 inaugural season was obviously yeah. a risk because the sustainability of the newly established MLS was unknown. 25 years later, and we're still kicking. Not only yeah, is baby. it 
not only as a player, but also from the perspective of an analyst and academy coach, what have been some of the biggest changes in the MLS over the first 25 years? David Beckham. Do I need to say more? Wow, you don't, I, you do don't, I, do but I really, I, listen, you, let's be honest. <laughs> we were playing at Invesco field where the Broncos play that seated 70,000 people. And we were drawn between 15 and 20, depending on 4th of July, we'd get 50, 60,000 people. Okay. Uh, we were playing at the, uh, the, I think it's called, it was called the Horseshoe at the time, Ohio State. We were playing there at, with Columbus Crew. There you go, exactly. Uh, go Buckeye, right? Yeah. So, there you go. So it went from that to then all of a sudden the Columbus Crew brings in the first soccer-specific stadium. You know, so you're starting to see the change little by little. You're starting to see that there was a future. Because listen, when we left, when I left Liga Mekis, uh, we were told clearly that they wanted all the U.S. players back, and we all wanted to come back. We wanted to help this league succeed and have a future. But we were also told that there was money for three years. And after that, we're not sure what's going to happen. It depends on what happens in these first three years. Will there be money to keep going? So after that, all of a sudden, a little bit of momentum started coming. And again, we went up and down. We had teams, unfortunately, that uh, – that folded with with uh, the Miami Fusion and, and you Tampa Bay, and it was just kind of one of those things that we knew it was going to go up and down. But as soon as David Beckham came, uh, the whole world knew what Major League Soccer was. Now the spotlight was on what can David Beckham do for this league? Can David Beckham win championships? Can David Beckham help soccer in the United States and help promote soccer in the United States? Where did, now the, where did the rule come, the first designated player for teams now? It was the David Beckham rule. So let, let's be honest. He was – listen, there's a lot of people that have done a lot of hard work. I'm not – and please don't take it as disrespectful. But when you brought David Beckham in, that was a game changer for everybody. Because now all of a sudden teams started spending money on that designated player, that extra money on Kovalenko, that extra money on bringing them back Josie Altidore bringing back the American players, bringing back Stoichkov. These are big names, man. So uh, let's be honest. David Beckham is probably the biggest thing. And then after that, you know what? The, the competitiveness, the, the, the – and they're still at off balance a little bit because certain teams are always the Galaxy for a while had the rings for a while. Now Seattle has it. But uh, it, it, it became a competitive league. People wanted to come here. We went from buying older, we went from buying 30-year-olds, 32-year-olds. We went to buying 23-year-olds, 22-year-olds, Embarco, Almaron, Joseph Martinez. We went to start buying players like that. And uh, all of a sudden, the league, again, teams started investing in players and looking at it as a business. Now they're buying and selling. Look at these young academy players. They're Erickson from, uh, Aronson from uh, Philadelphia. It just got sold for $6 million. That would have been unheard of 10 years ago. So I think that's where you start looking at the changes of little things. And again, there's a waiting line. There's a waiting list of teams and owners who want to buy a $300 million franchise and be a part of Major League Soccer now. That wasn't happening back then because Phil Anschutz and Lamar Hunt own, I think, 90% of the league. So look where we're at now. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, and that's exactly why we do this, you know, because – We've always loved soccer. We've been EPL fans forever yeah. and got into the MLS. And as it's growing, you're seeing this trend start to happen. 
and it's it's an incredible thing to see and i'm excited to see what happens in the future um with your time in the mls you spent six full seasons with the rapids and in those six years you helped lead them to the mls playoffs four times and were named an mls all-star five times what was so special about your time with the rapids um yeah, that's a good question because I had a decision to make when I was in Mexico and I, I've told this story that uh, Sunil Gulati came to Mexico because I'll be honest with you, I, I was debating leaving Liga Mekis because I, I, I've had two good years there. Um, there was rumors going around that Cruz Azul was going to buy me, one of the bigger teams in Mexico. And uh, when Sunil came and talked to me, we were hanging out at the hotel. He's like, I'm going to call Phil Anschutz. Well, Back in uh, back then in '95, uh, there was no such thing as telephones that you can Google who Phil Anschutz was. So I'm like, well, who's Phil Anschutz? And he's the owner of the Colorado Rapids. He's blah 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 blah. I'm like, okay, cool. So he puts them on and he proceeds to tell me, you know, knew my name, knew a little bit of my history, and then he proceeds to say, Sunil says, Phil, tell him why you want him, and he proceeds to say that the reason. The reason I want to start a team in Colorado because I want the guy who did that overhead kick, that funny overhead kick in the World Cup. And we proceeded to have a little bit more in-depth conversation. But when an owner reaches out to you and, and, and tells you how excited he is to bring you to his club and what his goals were and what his expectations were for this club, um, it made it very easy because my heart was always in the United States. My heart was and I mean my heart because my heart was given to Leon and I love that team and I still follow it I still cheer for them but being an American and wanting to see a, a league succeed here um, I want to be able to sit and this is what our thoughts were we wanted to have a league where our kids could play or I could sit on a Saturday afternoon when I retire and watch some games with my son and watch the MLS so um, it, it was a difficult decision but when I came here uh, the way the Rapids and, and the fans and the community embraced us and showed up and supported us. Um, I've been here 25 years, fellas. I haven't left. I haven't left because I love my team. I love what oh, I do broadcasting. I love coaching the U14s and being a part of this organization that I started, helped start in 96. And, uh, and, and again, it's just, it puts a smile on my face, man. It makes my heart happy. And when your heart's happy, you, you, tend to enjoy life a little bit more. And uh, this is my kids were born and raised. They go to school here and uh, I, I wouldn't have picked any other place. Yeah, that's amazing. You find a job you love, you never work a day in your life, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So not only were you a defender that loved to get into crunching tackles, like we just talked about with that overhead kick, you were also an offensive weapon for the Colorado Rapids scoring 24 goals and recording 23 assists and 151 appearances for the club. Describe your style of play and, and what you think characterizes a good defender. Um, one that embraces his position. I think there's a lot of kids out there now, you play them in a position and they're not happy, so they don't embrace that position. They don't want to play their best because, listen, I've yet, and I've been coaching for a while now since I've retired, I've yet for a kid to walk up to me and say, I'm a center back. Everybody comes up to me and says, oh, I'm a six or I'm an eight or I'm a 10 or I'm a nine. I'm a forward. I'm a seven or I'm an 11. I've never heard anybody use a number two, three, four, five, ever, <laughs> ever. 
So embracing the position and, and trying to be the best that you can be at it. That's what my dad always told me. You know, I mean, we worked, listen, I wanted to be a forward too. Don't kid yourself. I loved going forward, but my dad always put me as a center back. And he always told me that you just can't be a defender who's going to defend. You've got to be dangerous going forward. You've got to be good on set pieces. You've got to have a long range shot with power because you're not going to get that close to the goal. So you've got to learn to shoot from 20 to 25 yards out from a standing ball, from a free kick to a rolling ball to ball out of the air. So a good defender is a guy who embraces his position and wants to be the best at it. Once you do that, the mental side of it, everything is welcome. You can learn to defend. You can learn to twist and move and go one-on-one, but uh, you have to be able to, there's a lot of players that use their physicality and they don't use their, their, their senses more and that's their brain. They want to get into a crunching tackle. They want to get in nice and tight and then you see the forward spin them. So it's learning your position, being the best at your craft. And that means every day. That means watching video. That means out when kids are playing, sacrificing when they're playing Xbox, you're out defending with your buddy. You're doing one-on-one drills after practice. You're staying after, and you're picking the best one-on-one fastest player. You're making a 10 by 20 square, and you're going one-on-one, and you're letting him try to dribble you and trying to beat you. Uh, if you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to work that hard, then you have an opportunity to be at that next level. Or you'll be a great college kid. I mean, listen, everybody's got a different path. Not everybody's going to be a pro. But you could be one of the best college players. You could be one of the best USL players, one of the MLS players. There's always, and that's the beauty of what's been opened over the last 20 years, is there's opportunity for kids to play everywhere right now. It's just you've got to find your path. And your path may be different than mine. It may be different than Cole Bassett's that we talked about. It could be different than Lexi Lavison. But everybody's got a path. It's just how much are you willing to sacrifice to get your goal and to live your dream? If you're willing to sacrifice every day, you still may not get it. But at least at the end of the day, you can walk away and say, you know, I did everything I could and it just wasn't meant to be. Doesn't mean you don't love the game. You can still play on a Sunday league. You can still enjoy the game. You can give back. And it's about giving back. How much can you give back to the sport? that has given me everything. It's given me a family. It's given me friends. It's given me so many beautiful things that uh, that's why when you talk about giving back, it's just a smile on my face. I'm giving back what? I'm giving back my time because I love it. This night, I'm not giving anything. I'm enjoying getting in the community. I enjoy coaching these kids and watching them develop and grow and see them become men, see them become professionals. You know what I mean? So Again, hard on the sleeve, you can always tell. I'll shut up now. Go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, no, Marcelo, you were, just talk- you were just talking about giving back. I know you were just giving back to the U14s, the Colorado Rapids Academy. But right now, what you're doing, you might not, a lot of people might not think it is, but you're giving back right now. You're sharing your knowledge. You're sharing your experience, not only for um, players that are coming through the uh, system, but you're sharing your experience with the U.S. national uh, team. You're sharing your professional experience. You're uh, sharing your whole story. You know, everybody, everybody, again, everybody's got their own path. My path had its ups and downs. It's had a speed bump. It's had a wall. It's had everything that, that you could think of that would be in a career. So, again, it's just a matter of how much are you willing to work? Hey, my doggy's back. Hi, buddy. <laughs> it, depends on, it depends on how much you're willing to work. That's what it comes down to. And, I mean, work. And what I mean by that is not playing Xbox and not just going to the park. 
My dog wants a computer too. <laughs> um, and not just going to a park and, and kicking a ball into the goal and saying, I worked hard today. That's, that's not what it's about. You know what I mean? So um, studying film, studying your opponent, working on your weak left foot, knowing you can strike it with the right, but can't, I didn't, I, I'll be honest with you. I tried and I couldn't get it down. I just couldn't figure out how to use my left peg. So I learned to jump off it. One leg I worked in. You have strength and weaknesses. I've always played to my strength and try to hide my weaknesses. Because if you, somebody sees a weakness, a good forward will find that weakness and he'll exploit it. Can you hide it? In a, in a warm-up, you'll hardly ever see me strike it with my left foot. And if I do, I'll make a good hard pass. But you won't see me strike it because I don't want the forward to see that I can't really hit a 30-yard ball with my left foot accurately. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you try to hide certain things and not let them see. I don't do a lot of jumping in, in warm-ups because you don't want them to see how high you can get up or how well you time the ball. I just played off Lexi. I let Lexi take the two biggest guys. Lexi, feel free to go that way. I'm going to sneak in behind you and take the open space. So you've got to learn to use your strength and your weaknesses to your advantage. Marcelo, I think one of the coolest things you just said in that conversation was you were listing all the numbers. You know, every player wants to be a six. I was a six. Mike D was a six. <laughs> players want to be an eight. Players like Cole Bassett want to be yeah. the playmaking ten. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but oftentimes, if you really watch center backs play, they're the best players on the field. They're the most – technical players on the field they're some of the most positionally aware players on the field and I think yeah. what you just said kind of attests to that well I'm a little biased you know I'm a center back and but I've, I've played every position listen when we were down uh with the Rapids or with the national team they would throw Lexi and, and me up top sometimes to flick balls on to help out sometimes when I started listen when I started in the 90 I wasn't a center back Bob Gansler threw me in as a six and I remember the first game against Italy that I played. Bob Ganser was awesome. He made life so easy for me. He's like, you're playing here. Your job is to tackle and win balls. And when you get it, you know what you do with it? I'm like, yeah, I can go forward. He's like, no. He goes, See, give it to Tap and give it to Harksy. You stay right there and win the ball. He made it easy. So I, I've been blessed enough to be able to play the center back role, the six role. Um, high school was, was a forward, but I think that helped only helped me be more comfortable on the ball as a center back. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. It's everything that you just said, I just, I could sit here and listen to you talk about football <laughs> all day long. It's, it's, it's incredible, but something that you talked about, you know, talking about being good going forward, even as a defender, yeah. a lot of the goals you scored came off headers, but you were also known to get on your bike. You scored the 2000 MLS goal of the year against our beloved Columbus crew with a wonderful right-footed bicycle kick. <laughs> And you damn near pulled off one six years beforehand at the 1994 yep. World Cup against Colombia. Almost identical. Yep. Almost identical. Your form on these goal or on these these bikes gets a perfect 10 out of 10 from us. Was this something that you worked on in training or what? One, listen, a bicycle kick is a matter of inches, okay? And if you look at the 94 World Cup and you look at the goal I scored in Columbus, there's a few differences. But the difference was the one in the World Cup, I was about a foot and a half outside the post. If you go back to the Columbus one, I'm about a foot inside of the post, the position, position. But both of them, I hit this probably two of the most purest balls I've hit because I didn't feel it come off my foot. 
Now the biggest difference was I got knocked out in that first game against Columbus. Um, I didn't remember the goal. I don't remember the game. The doctor at the end told me great goal. I asked him what goal. My roommate, Ross Pauly says, hey, when I came back from seeing the doctor at the hotel, he's like, your goal is one on the ESPN's top 10. I'm like, what goal? So it's weird to say that my best goal ever was scored with a concussion that I do not remember. But I, I listen, I, I saw Pele do it. And I'm, I'll be honest, I saw Pele do it. So as a kid, I started trying to, I was doing it in the pool. I was doing it on the bed. I pissed off mom. I believe I broke a lamp. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then it just became, a, it became an obsession. Okay, how do I throw my body backwards and kick that ball? And little by little, it just started coming and it started coming. And I did it in the under 20s. I scored against uh, Canada on a bicycle kick. Um, I started perfecting it more. I scored in, Trin in the 91 uh, Gold Cup against Trinidad. I scored on a much easier ball, just deflected it, bounced literally right here, and I leaned back and hit it, but it went in. So it just started becoming an obsession of like, okay, this is kind of cool. And, you know, you have that dream of a cross coming in and you just get up and backwards. And uh, it just became an obsession for me. I had to... And, I, and listen, I'm not going to lie. There's certain times where I could have headed a ball and I ran past it and turned around and tried to bike it. And I've missed a few because it was one of those things that you wanted to do so bad. And, and the two that I almost scored, the, the, and if you watch that, the 94, that ball was supposed to be dropped right about the penalty spot because we were coming in. And it was just instinct. I turned and hit it. And I thought it was in because I saw it rolling off the net and then I saw it hit the signboards. You know what I mean? And you can see in the, in the video, even Tony with the, it was an inch away. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the Columbus goal, um, going back and looking at tape, um, I, I knew it was in right away. You know what I mean? You can clearly see when I hit it, I turn around and you, I saw it hit. I saw, on, on, you see it on the tape, it hits the net. And it's before Doherty's even on the ground, the ball's rolling back out. So, but again, uh, there's just certain things that as a defender, I probably shouldn't do, but those are one of those things that I'm like, you know what, I'm, why not? Let's give it a shot and see what happens. And listen, yes, have I got caught staying forward on a corner kick when the ball gets pushed wide? Yes. Same with Lexi. We both would say to each other, I'm not going back and he's not going back. So we're going to, until that ball was cleared, me and Lexi were not leaving the 18 yard box. So. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So we have a buddy, Dylan Thompson, who does full-on beach soccer. Mike Delaney is wearing the shirt. It's a podcast specifically for beach soccer. Nice. And he's always, he, he's always talking to these guys about their bicycles and yeah. lifting the ball from the sand. Yeah. Have you ever played beach soccer? Because your form and how you do that is very beach soccer-esque. I, I have very delicate feet. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> gentlemen. I'm not going to lie. When I go to the beach, you know, I, I walk around, I enjoy it. I don't know how, I, I gotta be honest, I don't know how they run around and the sand and their feet, but no, I'd love to try, don't get me wrong. I, I've played, we play a little bit, but we play usually on the closer to the water where it's nice and hard. We usually play there, but what those guys do is amazing. I don't know, their legs are just so powerful and strong and the way they're biking balls and hitting balls out of the air. I, I, that's something I'm not sure I, I could do, man. I could play on grass. I could play on, 
on, on a basketball court, on cement, anything but the sand for some reason, me and the sand just don't, uh, and my feet don't agree. Yeah, it's certainly a humbling experience going from the grass <laughs> to, the, to the beach soccer experience. But we've been talking about you as a defender and what you think characterizes a good defender as well. This year, we've seen a lot of standout performances from some defenders in the MLS. So we've got guys like Mark McKenzie, Jonathan Mensah, yeah. Walker Zimmerman, Anton yep. Tinnerholm, and Henry Kessler, the rookie from New England. Yep. For you, Marcelo, who would be your 2020 MLS Defender of the Year and why? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one because I, it's, been a, it's been a very odd year. We all know this with the pandemic, certain players well, uh, good games, bad games. Um, I would say probably McKenzie from Philadelphia. I think that that what Curtin has done with that team, and that is a young kid who is having to take a lot of responsibility on that back line and having to, and, and still going forward and able to score goals. But what that team has done and how he's turned it around, the one-on-one -on -one defending has gotten so much better from him. The leadership role, you can see him as a leader out on that field, as a leader on that captain. Um, for me, I think that would be probably my choice. And again, I, I got to be honest with you. I think Walker Zimmerman has had a great year. Having to go from LAFC to Nashville and how Nashville has turned around, I think Walker Zimmerman has had, has had a very, very good year that could probably just right up in that category one and two for me. And you guys? Being a crew fan, I would love to see, say, Jonathan Mensa. But over the past couple podcasts, in the past couple weeks, watching Jonathan Mensa, he looks very unsure of himself on the ball. He's had a lot of really sloppy turnovers. For me, I think it's Walker Zimmerman. He scored a couple goals for Nashville. Uh, he's got his expansion team into the playoffs and a play-in play game against another expansion team, Inter-Miami. Uh, and he's just a great leader. He's yeah. went from FC Dallas to LAFC, yeah. Yeah. and LAFC is a completely different animal than uh, Nashville. Nashville has completely had to rely on their defense. Yeah. I believe for expansion teams, they are the expansion team that has given up the least, conceded yeah. the least amount of goals in MLS expansion history. Well, but hold on, hold on. Pandemic year has I know. played a full – yeah, there's an asterisk. There's an asterisk yeah. on everything this year. Yeah. But, but for them, they don't have a lot of attacking prowess. Yeah. So I think that him alongside Godoy and Dax McCarty in the midfield, yeah. that triangle, that spine of yeah. that team led by Walker Zimmerman in the back warrants a 2020 MLS Defender of the Year for me. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think you can go wrong either with one or the other, McKenzie or, or with Walker. I think – they both have had good years. And if, if you were ever to look at a year where you say you could be co-defenders of the year, you know, you got a supporter shield winner, you've got the number one seed. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for what they've done there. Mike. So yes, show center backs. I'm an outside back kind of guy. Oh, okay. I, love, I love the attacking prowess of an outside yep. back wing back that can get in, be effective and, and defend well. And for me, uh, somebody that stood out a lot this year was Ruan from, from Orlando yeah. City. Uh, I mean, the guy is absolutely yeah. fast. His defending is, is fantastic, and he's, he's offensive as they come. So yeah. um, right. he's, he's up there for, for my top choices. Right. I mean, I have to give some uh, – I play center back as well as, you know, the six, but um, Henry Kessler uh, I think doesn't really get the, the credit he deserves. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going with Bruin. Yeah, Kessler's Kessler's a rookie. He's getting overshadowed by Daryl DK, and they were back to back picks. So it's, it's unfortunate for Kessler. <laughs> he does he doesn't get the attention that he deserves. But I mean, he's you got to earn talk- it. You got to earn it. Consistency. That's what MLS is about. You can't have one good year and then all of a sudden, you know. what I mean, it's about consistency. Look at Walker Zimmerman. Look at look at Long. Look at these players. It's about consistency. So yeah. I think that he's he's got a bright future. There's no doubt, but. Again, I think you look at the experience of the other guys, and I would say in a year or two, I think you'll be right up there. Absolutely. So you're, ta- you're talking about consistency within the MLS. You also picked Mark McKenzie as your 2020 Defender yeah. of the Year. How much longer do you see him in the MLS? He's still in the MLS? No, <laughs> um, I, think, I think guys had to have ch- – uh, everybody's had to change their plans a little bit right now with, uh, with what's going on with the pandemic. Um, I would think probably depending on what happens next year, 2021, maybe 22, I could see them leaving. I think that it's going to be very difficult for players to leave right now. Um, No fans in the stadiums. A lot of teams are struggling financially to be able to go and spend money. you, You know, you're looking at probably, two to three million dollars for a center back right now maybe more depending on on who gets defensive MVP so I I would think another year of experience would probably 2021 sometime right in there 21 22 you'll see a few players leaving yeah this year has been has been one for the books man yeah yeah put us through the ringer but we'll come out stronger on the other end yeah, and we, we have finally made it to the playoffs, man. This has been <laughs> such a long year. We made it. Yeah. All right. But listeners, we're going to take a quick 60-second break for a word from our sponsors, at a time Outfitters. We'll be back in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, Season 2, Episode 16 featuring Colorado Rapids and U.S. Men's National Team legend Marcelo Balboa. So you guys just got through our commercial. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com. At checkout, enter Gone Wild, all one word, G-O-N-E-W-I-L-D, for all of your soccer-inspired apparel, including wristbands and stickers. Once again, at checkout, Gone Wild, 10% off your entire order. So well, before the ad happened, we were we were talking about 
you know, players that, you know, could go defenders of the year. Um, you had the pleasure, obviously, of coaching Cole Bassett, who probably yep. is going to be on that radar sometime in the, in the coming years. But you coached at the U19 level academy and you're currently coached for U14 Rapids yep. Academy team. Yep. As a coach, what are the main differences in coaching these two different age groups? Um, you know, at, at the 14 level, you're still working on some technical stuff. And I think that's, that's the most important thing is they're still developing there. And it's funny because every kid, when you put them in a passing drill, it's like, oh, I can do this, coach. Okay, do it for me. Full speed, like you would in a game. So I give them a ball. I make them run sideways 10 yards and then hit a ball upfield where there's a goal. Hmm, not as easy as you think, is it, Sunshine? You know, I mean, it's kind of one of those. So you have to almost show them a little bit that – Anybody can do things at half pace. Not a problem. Anybody can do it at practice pace. But you have to practice at a game pace in order to get better. You have to push yourself every day to that point of where you're out of control. So you get every day a little bit more out of control, a little bit more out of control because you're starting to develop that pace and that control. So now you're into the game. It's not a big difference between a practice drill and what's really going to happen in a game. But it's difficult sometimes getting them to get to that point because they want to cruise through it. It's easier to just kind of half speed, three-quarter speed. So the technical side of working on striking a ball, passing a ball, receiving a ball, turning your shoulders on a half turn up field so you can see the guy coming. So you can, I mean, there's just a lot of little things technically. On the 19, it's a little bit more tactical. You're trying to get them to check in and check out in the positions, clear one space so another guy can come into that space. This guy makes this run. You want to have the guy making a second run, you know? So, uh, again, more technical with the 14s and the 13s, a little bit more tactical with the 19s. Yeah, and two words that I have written down for the main differences between those two is for the U14s, you're doing more developing, and for the U19s, you're doing more of molding. So with the 19-year-olds, they're only about a year off from potentially going yeah. pro or going to college to college. then go pro or sign a homegrown or what have you. Yeah. These 14-year-olds, I think that that offers a different opportunity. It's really cool yeah. because you get to develop them into that player that is eventually going to get to that point. Yeah. Yes, but they've got to be willing to put the work in. That's, that's the biggest, you know, and, and listen, I'll be honest. Sometimes when you've got kids that are already on their pathway to college, they know they're going to college. They've kind of got their future set. So they back off the pedal a little bit. So you've got to motivate them to a little bit to keep pushing themselves and get better for college. Because listen, there's national teams out there. There, There's so many things out there that, that listen, I, I tell my kids one day, if I told you right now that you 15 national coach was at your game on Saturday, could you tell me who he was? No then why would you take the chance of not giving 100% today just in case that coach is there or that college coach sees you play? Because, listen, all it takes is one good play, one something, you do something to catch a coach's eye, he writes your name down, now he's going to keep an eye on you. So you never know who's going to be at any game, anywhere. So why give a half effort? You know what I mean? That's, that's what we try to preach to these kids. Every day you step on the field, it's a blessing. Give me 100%. If you can go 60 minutes, great. Not a problem. Give me 60 minutes at 100%, then 90 minutes at 70%. Because now you're kind of cruising. You're just trying to get through the 90 minutes. 
So it, it's still, you're still teaching at, at 19. You're still teaching at 14. The molding part is more about trying to get him to understand that when you step on the field, you got to give it all. Give me an hour and a half of everything you have and then go home. You got the rest of the day to relax. So I was going to ask, my next question was going to be, what's it like to play for Coach Balboa and what do you expect from your players? But I think you just answered it for us. So I'm going to go ahead and move right on. <laughs> Hold on, Mike D, let me, let me hop in here for a second. So we're getting ready to talk a little bit about Cole Bassett. You coached him at the yeah. U19 level. Yeah. Is there anybody on your U14 squad that we need to be aware of that you think has the same potential or even better potential, bigger potential than Cole Bassett? Uh, listen, there, there's a few kids. Um, in the academy. I don't, I don't like to compare uh, the next Cole Bassett because, it, you know, Cole Bassett's Cole Bassett. Cole Bassett has his strength and what he did to get there and how hard he worked. And uh, we've got kids that have the potential to have an opportunity to train with the Rapids first team. Now from there, they've got to be mentally strong and survive. Cole Bassett did. Cole Bassett is very strong mentally. These kids have been gifted with an ability. Now, can they take it to the next level? Can they work hard after practice? Can they work hard every day to stay there? You know what I mean? That, that's, so, yeah, we do have a few kids that have that potential. But are they willing to sacrifice every day? Are they willing to grind it out every day, even when they don't want to, to be a professional? That's what we'll see in the next two or three years with some of these kids. I can't wait. I can't wait. Cole, like you said, has that high potential. He's got five goals, five assists, and 982 minutes this season. Yep. How high is Cole's ceiling? Oh, listen, I, I don't think you can ever put a ceiling on anybody. What, I mean, did you put a ceiling on Michael Jordan? Did you, no. put a ceil did you put a ceiling on Messi or Ronaldo? Listen, there's a high ceiling for Cole Bassett. Now it's like anything else. You've got to be put into an environment that you're going to be successful in. You've got to go to a, a league that fits your style. You know what I'm saying? I went to Mexico because it fit my style. I had opportunities to go to other places. Um, wasn't comfortable because of, listen, I had an opportunity to go to Turkey. I had an opportunity to go to England back in the old days when they just pump balls in the air. And, uh, you know, South American soccer was just more my style. And that's why I think why I was successful in Mexico, because it fit the way I was comfortable playing. Cole Bassett or any young player just can't be sold to be sold. Because it, I'd hate to see somebody be sold and then him sit on the bench and not get any time. Cole's got to figure out, eventually, eventually, I'm not saying now because he's with the Colorado Rapids, um, what league fits his style. And I think that's important because Cole Bassett going to Mexico, I'm not sure about that. Cole Bassett going to Germany, now you're like, okay, I can see him fit that style. I could see him play in that area. You know what I mean? So, again, it's that comfort zone. You have to be able to realize what style you play in and what you're comfortable playing in. Yeah, absolutely. And he definitely has a future for the U.S. men's national team. And Greg Berhalter has recently showed that he has a hand in some of these – acquisitions of players such as Brendan Aronson going to Salzburg, yeah. you know, yep. so it also, it has to be good for the player, Cole Bassett. It also has to be good for, you know, his future. The yeah. US national I, don't, team. I don't know. Right now I would hate to be a 22 year old kid trying to make the national team after looking at the roster that's going to play tomorrow. Yeah, me too. Going, I'm sitting there going, 
if I'm 22 right now, I'm thinking to myself, oh, even if I'm 28 or 30, I'm like, dang, man, you got Pulisic, you got Weston McKinney, you've got Adams, you've got Reyna, you've got Weah, you're like, you've got Jonathan Brooks. I'm like, I'm like, oh my Lord. I'm like, the competition right now, uh, it's, I love it. Absolutely love it. And Greg Berthalter's got to be happy as heck right now with the competition and what he has to pick from. Woo! Cole Bassett, though, will get an opportunity. I think you'll see him with the under-20s and get an opportunity to keep developing himself, just like Sammy Vines. Yep. Very cool. So, Marcelo, since we're talking about the current Colorado Rapids team, following a number of Rapids players and staff members testing positive for COVID-19, five of the Rapids' October matches were canceled. The Rapids returned to play with back-to-back losses, looking a step behind Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota. In their last three matches, however, the Rapids have beat defending MLS Cup champ Seattle Sounders, defending MLS's back champs Portland Timbers, and the Houston Dynamo to secure the fifth seed in the Western Conference playoffs. On Sunday, November 22nd, the Rapids will travel to Minnesota for their third matchup with the Loons in 2020. The Rapids and Loons tied and the MLS is back tournament 2-2, and the Rapids recently lost to them 2-1. What are your keys to this match against the Loons? Ooh, you know what? It's tough because I hear Kai Kamara is going to go represent Sierra Leone. Uh, Diego Rubio is going to go represent Chile, and they will not be eligible to play. I'm not sure who else is, uh, is missing from Minnesota yet. I haven't... Uh, we were told we're not doing the playoff game, so I was kind of bummed, so I kind of just kind of pushed it to the side. Um, you know, I think it's like anything else. The key right now for Colorado is to make sure they don't get caught on their heels, okay? When Colorado gets caught on their heels, they sit back, they defend. That's not their strength. Their strength is pressing teams. Their strength is moving the ball, not sitting so deep. So don't allow Minnesota to be comfortable at home. Press them, move them, um, make sure that you're organized in the back with Lalas and Danny or uh, Lalas and, uh, and Trusty, um, making sure Nomaly's on the ball because Nomaly is absolutely fantastic on the ball. Benazay's been on a roll. He gets the ball and he's one of those players who just runs out of back line. And I hate those kind of players when I play against them, but when I broadcast and he's on my team, I love it because he puts a defender on his heel. Uh, Cole Bassett finding the spaces in behind on set pieces. Uh, he's done a great job. Jack Price staying healthy because he delivers one of the best balls in Major League Soccer. So um, I think right now Colorado's on a high. They have gone to they have gone to Portland and and beat Portland. They have gone to Houston and they have won in Houston. They have gone to Salt Lake and spanked them there. No disrespect, but they are a rival, so I can say spank. So and we have the Rocky Mountain Cup. So anyway, but what I'm saying is Colorado, if, if they get caught on their heels, is where they get in trouble. If they start off on the front foot and go and press and keep the ball in the middle of the pitch, I don't see, I, I, I'll be honest with you. They had 30 days off, unfortunately, because of COVID. We knew that it was going to take them a game or two to get ready and to be playoff ready. They're playoff ready. They beat Seattle at home. They beat Portland on the road. They beat Houston. This is a team that's well-rested. This is a team that now has that high. And we always talk about MLS. It's that team at the end of the year that picks up that little bit of a run that can make a huge playoff run. Colorado seems to be that team right now 
that has made that run and could push for an MLS Cup. Appearance. I won't say a championship, but an appearance, which is important. Yeah, and to add to Kai Kamara going to Sierra Leone, Minnesota's also going to be missing Robin Lode, Jan Gregus, Roman Metnair, all three of those guys in addition yep. to Kai Kamara. So that's going to also make go. a big difference in that ball game as well. Exactly. So there we go. I'm not going to say Colorado's going to win, but advantage Colorado. Okay, so Marcelo, other than that game, the Minnesota and – Colorado game. What other first round matchup are you looking forward to the most? Oh, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested in Nashville and Miami in the knockout game. Not going to lie. I, I do like now that it's a kind of a little battle now that both teams are in the knockout game. But I think the, the one that's interesting and in both conferences, I'll go interesting is LAFC and Seattle. That to me is a very, was not expecting that matchup. So I think that one's an interesting one to me because you're going to have a big team knocked out, two teams that are potentially MLS candidates to win it could be, are going to be knocked out. One will be knocked out. Yeah, I think the LAFC and Seattle game is interesting to me as well. You know, we're seeing Carlos Fela finally come back yeah. into the picture. And LAFC is a team that has struggled offensively throughout this throughout the season this unprecedented season but with the addition you know they have the golden boot winner Diego Rossi and Carlos Vela is back now so it's let's, it's let's a, but hold on let's let's see who's actually available for that game exactly national team you know Rodriguez national team so it'll be interesting to see who has less of their starters on the field and you're yeah, playing I'll, on turf in Seattle yeah, uh, on the other end for Seattle, Ruby Diaz, who has been called up in the previous yeah. national window, yeah. could get called up again. Although I don't know if they're going to do that because last time he came back with COVID. So yeah. I, I don't know if they're going to send him back out. They're, but listen, they're World Cup qualifiers. You cannot – you have to release them. If they have asked to World Cup qualifiers in, in Common Bowl and, and South America, so they have to be released. If they are asked to come, then they have to be released. Unless the player declines that – but I have a hard time believing that uh, Reese Diaz is going to say, no, I don't want to go play. No, I completely agree yeah, with you. Yeah. So one of the matches you highlighted, Nashville-Miami, who wins that yeah. game? Uh, it's in Nashville, I believe, right? Or yes. Miami? It's in Nashville. Nashville. I don't know. You know what? I, I think all of these games, I think the way this year has gone, anybody can beat anybody. There's not take, – take Philadelphia out of the equation right now. Supporters, shield winners. But we – listen – can we go to the jinx of the Supporters Shield winners? LAFC, do you want to keep going down the list? So there's not many Supporters Shield winners that have won MLS Cup. But I think all of these games are, are – you don't look at a game and say, oh, this, this team's going to win easily. San Jose, do you want to play San Jose? If you're Kansas City right now, do you – Sporting Kansas City, do you really want to play a team that's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that can beat you 3 nothing, or could come and – lose three now you don't know what you're going to get on any given day so I, I don't know I think that's a tough one for me I, I think that I always seem to take the team that's at home with Nashville but I think Miami could pull off that upset in in, in depending on weather but in Nashville what are your first thoughts on Gonzalo Higuain um need to score more goals mm -hmm. you know what I mean but listen uh, it's not easy playing an MLS. And especially in a year where this pandemic has hit, 
Um, you're not really you, – you've started and stopped the season, I believe, three, two times and some teams three times. So, listen, uh, I don't like to judge anybody on five to ten games. Um, so, I think he's a good player. And I think that he – when things come back to normal, I think he's a, he's a player that will make an impact for that group on and off the field. So, but again, listen, uh, you got a player of that pedigree on your team, you're going to learn. The young players are going to learn. So, and listen, Miami's not done. We all know Miami's going to spend more money next year. Iguain plus, you know, when they talked about Cavani, unfortunately he went to Manchester United. So um, Beckham, Beckham's got a few things up his sleeve, I'm sure, besides tattoos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I saw a rumor. A I, I saw a rumor today. Sergio Ramos is the newest rumor for Inter Miami. But yeah. to touch it, we'll see. Yeah, we, but they will spend some money if it's him. Yeah. Okay, if yeah. it's somebody else, whatever. But yeah. they are going to spend some yeah. money. But Gonzalo's got one goal in nine games, so I completely agree. Yeah. He needs to score more goals. He's looked okay. Yeah. Uh, the the MLS yeah. has absolutely blown one of his highlights out of proportion, though. I got to say that. They've been posting. Uh, oh, the ball he dropped. Uh, he dropped right at his feet. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, blowing it out of proportion. Hold on. But hold on. That's pretty fantastic cool. touch. There's not, there's not a lot of guys that can drop a ball like that. So. Uh, fantastic touch. All right. I don't know. I think I think there's plenty of players out there in the MLS. Oh, uh, I, I, no, no, you, you and <laughs> that, I have that, a conversation. That calm and that cool. It was like just standing there like, oh, it's like nothing. All the, You see everybody else. They're all stiff and their arms out of the side. He had his arms at the side. He just kind of boop. Thanks for coming. So listen, there's, there's just stuff. There's just special things that guys like that have. And uh, listen, maybe he's not scoring goals, but he's creating enough of a distraction to open up space for somebody else. And that's, that's part of the game too, that no one gives credit. Like goal scorers score goals, but if they don't score goals, they've got to get, they've got to get fouled for set pieces. They got to get corner kicks off shots. There's more to it than just scoring goals. And, and Iguain does that. Absolutely. Great acquisition by Miami. Yeah. Yep. So, Marcelo, predict the Eastern Conference and Western Conference playoff champions and who is going to win it all. Try to take your Colorado bias out of this one. Oh, you know what? I, I think here we go again. It's a crapshoot. It is because look what Orlando's done. Look what Toronto's done. Look at anybody. Listen, I think there's going to be a big surprise. I really do. I think we're not going to see what we think we're going to see in a final. Um, if you want to go safe, you know what? I, I would say the way Philadelphia is playing right now, they got the home field advantage throughout the whole playoffs. Um, I would have to almost go with them only to play. And they're just playing safe. You know what I mean? On, on the Eastern side. And I'll be honest because we didn't get to see a lot of Eastern conference team this year being with the Colorado and their broadcast. We get to watch them on TV but watching it on TV and seeing it in person are completely different. And we didn't see any East Coast teams at all. So on that side, I'm going to go safe. On this side, listen, uh, listen, I think it could be Colorado. I think they've got the freshest legs. I think they're, they're the team that's most rested and ready to go. So with the right, with the right result, and, and maybe lucky enough, who knows? San Jose beats Sporting Kansas City. We get a home game. You know, who knows? You know what I'm saying? You don't know. So, but I mean, if you go with this, um, if again, 
you're, you're going to be missing a lot of players in this international window. So uh, some teams may not be able to get through there because they'll be missing so many players. So when you look at this, I'll, I'll say more than likely, I hate to say it, but I, I, you don't want me to say Colorado. So I, I, in my heart says Colorado, but I won't say Colorado for the bias part of it. Um, I, I could see Sporting Kansas City getting to the final. So, but we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them. So I'm not, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think, I think Sporting Kansas City, Peter's got them rolling in the right direction. I don't think they're going to be missing a lot of players throughout the international break. So I think that advantage, just like Colorado, they'll miss one player in Rubio. That's a huge advantage to teams, not like LAFC or Seattle. Portland's missing a few players with the ACLs that they've had. You know what I mean? So I think when you look at that, you got to take everything into account. And, and when you look at international call-ups, I look at Sporting Kansas City, not much. I look at Colorado, San Jose. So I can think one of those teams is going to win the, uh, the West. Yeah, yeah it's, it's six one and one since the beginning of October. So they're rolling. Yep. Now you just got to hope for no injuries. Nothing silly, right? Right, right. Two weeks, two weeks of practice before you play. You can stay healthy, which is half the battle. Stay game fit. You know? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see, boys. You guys, any surprises? No. I think that you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head for me. 2020 has been around, around the board, you know, just yeah. kind of a crapshoot. And yep. Um, I think that we are going to see something that we're not expecting. Yep. So um, I, I, I kind of have a, have a bracket here that I made. That I made. Oh, no. Um, but um, I, did, I did have Sporting Kansas City getting uh, the West, and um, I, I didn't pick the winner of my Philadelphia or Columbus game because I, I, I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I try to stay unbiased, but, I mean, I'd love to see Columbus, you know, do something that they haven't done in a long time. Listen, at the beginning of the year, I had Columbus in the final. Yeah. I did. I think that, the, that what, what Caleb Porter has done with that team and Darlington Nagby and Zardes, uh, what they're doing over there, Zilarayan, all of that, if it comes together at the right time, which it's coming together, you can see it. Um, I don't know. if Would that be a surprise to you guys? It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. A Montreal – a Nashville, a Miami reaching the final, that would surprise me. Yeah. But a Columbus, I can see Columbus fighting that, that last spot. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, I would say. I think it would be super exciting because we haven't seen it in a while. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it's just been kind of the classic Columbus case where, yeah. you know, they, they fall off a little bit in the important times. And they're, like you said, they're starting to pick back up yep. in the important time right now, which is not yep. something that we've seen a whole <laughs> lot of lately. So, yep. um, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising, but I'd be super excited to see it happen. There you go. All right. Yeah, about a month, month and a half ago, we all would have written in the Columbus crew probably as the Supporter Shield winners and to be in the MLS Cup, whether they win it or not. But we saw Eloy Room, Darlington Nagby, Lucas Celerion all get injured. And now they're all finally starting yeah. to come back. And they just scored a 23-pass team goal. Yeah. And that's Caleb Porter's system. Yeah. And they live and die by that system. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see it all come back together at the right time. So I don't think I would say it's a surprise, and I also don't wouldn't say that we should expect them to get there, uh, but we should have high expectations for this team in the playoffs. I think Caleb's smart. I think he knows he didn't want to win the supporter shield because of the jinx. So I think he just wanted to throw that off to the side. He's good to go now. He's good yeah. to go. Columbus yep. is good to go. Absolutely. <laughs> we, 
we talked about it in the last podcast. We think that he prioritized their health going into the the oh, postseason 100%. over the supporter shield. I, listen, but, I think I think any trophy you win is awesome. You take it, but yeah, that 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 trophy's had such a jinx on it. It's kind of weird, you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe not. I, listen, there the what what Philadelphia has has been fun to watch. Yeah. They have been fun to watch. Now we'll see. No, now comes the crunch time. Now can you play under pressure? Can you be the supporter shield, the number one seed? Knowing that you win your games, you will have MLS Cup at your house. Can you deal with that pressure? Now now's crunch time. Yeah, the last team to win the double was Toronto FC in yeah. 2017. Nobody's asked me my predictions yet, but I'll give them to you. It is going to be a rematch of the MLS's back tournament, Portland versus Orlando. And you know who I'm taking? Orlando. I'm, ta- I'm taking Orlando this time. It's their year. It's absolutely their year. They found a replacement as their striker. And Daryl DK, they've got star, pair, star power and Luis Nani. They have, a, they have a phenomenal team all around the field. I think that Oscar Preha has done a great job. We've talked yeah. about it in previous yeah. podcasts. For me, he's the coach of the year over Jim Curtin. Jim Curtin's also done a great job. And Oscar Preha, the way that he's turned around this club is absolutely phenomenal. The whole mentality yeah. of the club and the energy that they come out with on the field every time. And, you know, we watch every Columbus Crew game. We try to watch every game that we can. But when we watch them play the Columbus Crew, we knew that the Columbus Crew were probably in trouble after about – the Columbus Crew looked okay for the first 10, 15. But after that, we knew we were done. And and they they have a way of – they might not score a bunch of goals and put you away, but just how they slowly wear you down and their constant pressure – that can wear any team down. And as long as Oscar Preya has that team right in the locker room and that team is firing on all cylinders, that's my MLS Cup champion. The problem you have is certain teams go on a long run leading into the playoffs, and eventually you have that hiccup. Can you play that bad game and still win? Because you're going to have a bad game. Can you find a way to win on that off day? Colorado did not play well against Houston but they found a way to grind out that result and get it done. You know what I'm saying? They played well against Seattle and Portland, but Colorado, they struggled, they struggled a little bit against Houston. Can, can Oscar's group do that? They've had such a huge run at the, at the middle, then they kind of faded, then they came back. Can they stay healthy enough? Can they – can they go to Philadelphia eventually? Can they – you know what I mean? So there's – I don't know. I, I like Oscar, and I think Oscar and Jim Curtin, because listen, let's be honest, Jim Curtin's done a nice job. He's done a nice job on a, on a weird year. We've seen Philadelphia so close for so many years, and, and he finally got him over that hump. So I agree. It, it, uh, Coach of the year is either Curtin or, or Oscar Pareja, but can, can they get over that hump, either team? You know what I mean? I think if there is a spoiler, Columbus could play the spoiler. Man, I would love that. You see, I got my crew hat on right now. I know, I know. I have a special place because I, I got my goal of the year there. I oh, come on. <laughs> Which come I don't on, remember. Marcelo. Which come I on. don't remember, so it doesn't matter. Ah, oh, man. Well, we remember it. <laughs> I actually don't remember it. I didn't remember it until I looked it up. I mean, I was super yeah, young at that point. I didn't even think you were born when I was playing, so. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was born when you were playing. I was born in 93, so uh, I don't remember right. I don't remember a lot of it, but I was born. But 
Mike D, do you have any further questions for Marcelo before we let him probably go shower because he just got done with practice? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been a great conversation. I don't have anything else. You know, I, we've been talking for a while. I want to let you get out and and get some get some chow and get some shower and you yes, get to bed. I got to give some love to my dog. He's sitting yeah. way over there, just kind of waiting for me. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pouting. He's probably doing the same thing my dogs are doing uh, right now yeah. as well. Exactly. No, but thank you. Thank you so much, Marcelo. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, like I said before, I could sit here and listen to you talk football all day long. Uh, you're a legend, and thank you so much again for coming on and talking to us. Uh, I'm glad we were able to finally connect. Uh, oh. I'm glad it worked out for us all. And, uh, again, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, whenever you need me, I'm here. Yeah, thank you, Marcelo. I'm so glad that we could get this done. Again, guys, this is MLS Gone Wild Season 2, Episode 16, featuring special guest Marcelo Balboa. Thank you all for listening. You guys can listen, subscribe, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. Give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. Interact with us whenever you can. We put up a lot of polls and ask questions and uh, announce our special guest that way so you guys can give us questions as well. So interact with us. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening to episode 16 of MLS Gone Wild. Until next week, from Marcelo, from Blem, and from Mike D, thank you all for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.